Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of Ask Shane Anything. This show is supported 100% by our patrons who pledge at $7 or more per month at patreon.com slash sifted. If you want to ask questions for the show, you have to pledge at that level, but everyone gets to watch the archive. We have some great questions for this week's episode. Let's get straight to it. Our first question comes from Sifted from Sorefear. After watching a recent video curated to Sifted from Nintendo's Space World show from 1996, I reflected on your comments about how Nintendo is doing what it should be doing, and it should not be chasing the 4K market like a lot of people want. It will get there one day, I'm sure. What do you see Nintendo working on going forward? Are motion controls something we should expect for the next decade? Okay, what Sorfear is referencing there is we curated a video from Nintendo Space World just before the Nintendo 64 was about to be released in Japan. Space World is an event that used to take place in Japan. It was Nintendo's own, very own, press event that it had every year in Japan. I think the last year they did it was 2001. Uh, so Nintendo has not done it in over 20 years, and then ultimately... We ended up getting directs and all the other stuff has happened since then. However, it was very revealing, this presentation that we had curated. It was basically Miyamoto on a TV show demoing Super Mario 64 and talking about the Nintendo 64. It was pretty eye-opening to see, first of all, a really young Miyamoto and someone who is demoing software for Nintendo, which is something he does not do at all anymore. In fact, I'm not so sure he even works on software anymore, which is really disappointing to me. But anyway, it feels like this video sparked something inside of Sorfear to ask this question. So the first thing I would say is that I think Nintendo is, I wouldn't say chasing the 4K market, but I do think Nintendo's next console will be 4K. Now, will it be able to do things like ray tracing and things like that? Probably not. I think you're going to be able to see the quality level that you've kind of gotten used to visually from the Switch. However, everything will be in 4K, so it'll look a lot better on modern televisions. What he's really asking here, though, is, is Nintendo going to continue down the road of innovating and trying to find new ways to play games and, honestly, new ways to design games? Instead of just creating games that look better and maybe play a little bit better. Is Nintendo going to continue to look for that blue ocean strategy? And I think he's also referencing a recent tweet that I sent out about two weeks ago where I talked about how I believe the best Nintendo is a Nintendo that tries to do new and unique things. And it's not a Nintendo that would just chase after 4K visuals and call it a day. So... I think the answer to this is pretty easy, honestly. You just look at what Nintendo has done in the past. It hasn't been a fidelity chaser since, really, the GameCube. The GameCube was Nintendo's really one and only attempt at being a part of the console war with everybody else. There was really nothing unique about GameCube other than its size and the fact that it used smaller DVD ROMs, DVD discs, instead of full-sized DVDs. And that was, according to Nintendo, to try to thwart piracy on GameCube. Since then, 
Nintendo has really tried to push the boundaries with every piece of hardware it's released, not just consoles, but also its handhelds as well with the DS and the 3DS. So I think the writing is on the wall. Yes, absolutely. I think Nintendo is going to continue to try and innovate. I also think absolutely every controller or system that Nintendo releases from here on out is going to have motion controls. The controllers are going to have a gyro in them in some way, shape, or form because Nintendo has made too much software that requires motion control. And I think across the board, all publishers, all platform holders at this point are trying to create games that are going to live forever. Meaning people will be able to buy those games 10, 15, 20 years from now on whatever system or lack of a system that Nintendo has at the time and will still be able to play those games. So just on the concept of backwards compatibility, I believe that Nintendo will continue to have motion controls. Now, we'll continue to innovate in other input ways, like, I don't know, the vitality sensor. <laughs> That's something that Nintendo showed a long time ago with the Wii, but one thing we've learned with Nintendo is that when it shows an idea, and maybe that idea doesn't come out right away, eventually it kind of does come out in some way, shape, or form. It very rarely completely bails on something it has spent a significant amount of time working on. So do I think the Vitality Sensor will come back? I don't know if it'll be called the Vitality Sensor, but I do think that that technology will eventually be implemented in some way, shape, or form on a Nintendo system, if there is a Nintendo system in 15 years. Who knows what's going to happen with hardware ultimately on down the road. But I do not see Nintendo turning its back on trying to innovate in the way that we play games. And honestly, I feel like we get plenty of that from Xbox and PlayStation already. I like that Nintendo does something different. I do not think that we need a third wheel. All right, our next question comes from Sifted from V Nunez. Hey Shane, what's your favorite childhood memory? Oh my, <laughs> that's tough. I think that's a tough question for anyone to answer. Um, I am one of those people and I don't know why this has happened to me or for me, depending on how you want to look at it. But I can remember things from way back in my childhood. I can remember things as early as two or three years old and not just vaguely remember them. Remember long sequences of events. For example, when I was two and a half, almost three years old, my sister stole a $100 bill off of my dad's counter off of his the top of his dresser and she went to a candy store at the end of our street and bought like twenty dollars worth of candy and paid for it with a hundred dollar bill well the candy store was like something's fishy here called my parents and said hey your daughter's down here buying candy with a hundred dollar bill and so my parents went down there and obviously was like oh my gosh what have you done she actually paid for the candy and then took the change that she got from the candy store and put the change in a tree stump. And the owner of the candy store saw her do it, called the, my parents, and they went down and took care of everything and got the money out of this tree stump. It's hilarious. But I remember very vividly her getting in trouble. I also remember from around that same time period, my dad would get Twinkies for his lunch, his work lunches, and we were not allowed to eat them. And my sister and I... We coveted those Twinkies. We wanted Twinkies so bad. And so one night, she and I went down to the kitchen after my parents were asleep. 
and set up chairs and climbed all the way up on top of the refrigerator where the Twinkies were. I got up on top, grabbed a Twinkie, handed it to her. As she was getting down with the Twinkie, my dad came in and caught her. It did not catch me, but I was stranded on top of the refrigerator. So my sister did not tell on me. She got in major trouble and he grabbed her and dragged her out and took her back to her bedroom and put her to bed. And I was left stranded on top of the refrigerator. And I ha- I was so little. I remember all this vividly. So, just to preface that, what I was saying earlier, I remember a lot of stuff from my childhood. So this is tough for me. But I think if you talk to any kid whose parents got divorced, I think their best memories are always going to be from when their parents were still together. And that is no different for me. Um, my parents got divorced when I was like, three or four years old, but I remember a lot of stuff about before they got divorced and they were together. And so my best memory of being a kid is our house when we were growing up. Downstairs, the way it was designed, it was basically a big circle, a big loop. And we had big wheels. I don't know, some of you may not even know what a big wheel is anymore because I don't know if they even make them anymore. But my sister and I had big wheels. And essentially, Our whole downstairs just became a racetrack because it was one big loop and we could just ride as fast and as hard as we could around that circle. It would drive my mom crazy. If we'd do bad stuff, my mom would grab a wooden spoon and try to chase us and we'd ride in that circle while she'd chase us with a wooden spoon. And then sometimes she'd just stop and then we'd come all the way back around and she'd get us. But anyway, those are some of the fondest memories I have. Honestly, just in general, riding big wheels. We lived on a big hill and we would push our big wheels to the top of the hill, and then we just ride them down the hill. And and big wheels, the way they work is, the pedals have to turn with the wheel. They don't. It's not like a bike where the wheels turn, but the pedals can stay still. So once you get going a certain speed, you just take your feet off the pedals, and you just get put your legs up, and you're just steering. And we would just bomb down these hills, and then big wheels had a brake on the side that you'd pull up and it would make you spin out. And so we'd have people wait at the bottom of the hill to look for traffic. We'd ride down the hill, we'd bomb the hill, get to the bottom, jump off the curb, and then yank the brake and just spin out into the street. So those were some of my favorite memories as a kid, great memories as a kid. I don't even know if people are still making memories with big wheels, but they should be. All right, our next question comes from Sifted from Derek D. One, one, one. Forget the money and all the overtime you have and are putting in. If Sifted had received the audience it should have, would you prefer working at Sifted or Game Trailers? Ooh, that's another tough one. You guys are really hurling them for this episode. Um, that's tough. Um, if I... That's a really hard question. I think... Well, no, I don't think it is that hard. Because if Sifted were going off... I would have plenty of, money, plenty of money to hire people. And conceivably, I could hire a lot of the people that I worked with at Game Trailers because that's what I miss about Game Trailers is the people that I worked with and working with those people every day. From Jeff Keeley to Ryan Stevens to Brandon Jones to Daniel Bloodworth and right on down the line, all of them. I miss working with those people. It's a daily thing. You go into work. If you like the people that you work with, you're not working at all. So I miss the staff at Game Trailers, but that's really all I miss about it. I mean, other than just being handed a budget 
to create content instead of having to create that budget with your own company first and then spend the money. Um, so I think it would be sifted, again, provided that I had enough money to hire a lot of the people that I enjoyed working with and being able to work with them again. Um, realistically, would Sifted ever have the money to be as big as game trailers in my wildest dreams? Maybe, but probably not. Um, I don't even know if that would be smart at this point. You have to realize that game trailers was a part of a company called Spike Digital Entertainment. Um, and so it wasn't just game trailers, although probably 70% of the output um, from our content machine was for game trailers. The other 30% was for Spike.com and other things that we did for Spike. Um, so even what we had at Game Trailers wasn't 100% for Game Trailers, but even hitting 70% of what we had at Game Trailers, which would be like 10 edit bays going every day, all day. That just seems, first of all, wasteful, but second of all, pretty hard to achieve just doing it on my own. So I don't see that Sifted would ever become as big as Game Trailers once was, but I also don't think that that would be necessary. So I do think ultimately I would choose Sifted, provided that I could work with all my brothers and sisters that I worked with there for a really long time, because that, to me, is what really made GT. With our last question for this episode, it's from Sifted from Lucky Wallace. Hey Shane, have you ever played D&D or similar tabletop RPGs? If so, did you enjoy it? If not, is there a reason, and would you like to try someday? Okay, so back when I was a kid, although not a kid, I was like, I don't know, 10 to 13, like that before teenage area, kind of like the age of all the kids on Stranger Things, and I that was actually like in the age. So just imagine me and my friends were Stranger Things, because we were, and I think that's why people my age like Stranger Things so much is because we all see ourselves in that show. And I'm just telling you, like, literally, my crew of friends was Stranger Things. We were all into games and all the technology and things like that um, that the kids in Stranger Things are into. We were them. And just like in the most recent season of Stranger Things, absolutely, I played Dungeons & Dragons. Now, I will say this. I was more into games than I was Dungeons and Dragons. And it just so happened that my group of friends, we had one friend who, I don't know if I would say he was rich, but he was spoiled. He didn't even live with his parents. He lived with his grandmother. And her husband, his grandfather, had died um, right before we really got to know the guy. And he had left the grandmother a lot of money and Scott lived my friend Scott had lived lived with the grandmother and he got whatever he wanted he was the only person living with the grandmother the grandmother was old she's like I might as well spend this money before I die and so she spent it all on our friend and our friend had everything he got every console he had ColecoVision he had Intellivision he had a Vectrex he had all of it he got he was like the only person I know that got Atari consoles after the 2600. So we all just stayed at his house. The other thing, too, is that his grandma didn't care what we did. So we would spend the night and do sleepovers at his house. And we were allowed to stay up all night if we wanted to. And a lot of times we did. Like we would wake up in the morning and we'd all be laying like on the couch with the console still on. We just would play until we'd pass out. So we had this friend 
we would all go to his place, and he loved D&D. He, in fact, liked D&D more than he liked gaming. So my goal was always to go over there and convince him to play games, video games, instead of playing D&D. And so, inevitably, there were some times we all went over there where we were just going to play Dungeons & Dragons, and he was going to be the dungeon master. And... And we obviously played back when it was all pen and paper. So I remember him walking me through creating my character and creating my character sheet and drawing my crest and like all that stuff. And then rolling for my stats and all that kind of stuff. I remember I hated my character and I felt that like when I rolled for my stats, my rolls were terrible. My character was really weak. And I'll be honest with you, I feel like... Because I was one of the people who did not like Dungeons and Dragons all that much of our group of friends. And I was always the one who was like dragging his feet and saying, can we play on television instead or whatever? I feel like he treated me differently as a dungeon master. For whatever reason, like if I were on my own, he would present me with a monster that there was no way I was going to be able to defeat. Like anytime there was any discretion for the dungeon master to make things easier or harder on someone who was playing he always made it harder on me which is really dumb but you know we were like nine so he thought like i'm gonna punish shane and then maybe next time he comes over he'll just want to play dungeons and dragons instead it made me hate dungeons and dragons and not like playing it because he was a dungeon master and he always treated me like crap so i never liked how the dungeon master had control over the game and could manipulate people by how he treated them while they were playing. And at the same time, I was new to Dungeons & Dragons, and a lot of times I felt like he was doing things that he wasn't supposed to do or wasn't allowed to do. Like, there were times where he would say stuff, and other people at the table would chuckle. Like, uh-huh, like, you can't do that, but we're not going to say anything. Like, that type of thing. And so it kind of turned me off to Dungeons & Dragons, honestly. Um, I didn't like that the dungeon master had so much control, and if he had a grudge against you, he would just make playing it not fun. A lot of times, I would just die immediately, and I'd just have to sit there, waiting for somebody to save me, or whatever. So, um, I did play, I felt like I was forced to play more than I wanted to when I was young, but, to be honest with you, I have not played Dungeons & Dragons in probably, oh, it's been 20-some years at this point. I had a friend in philadelphia who tried to strike up a game and i was like oh i used to play and then we played like i think twice and everyone kind of lost interest and it never happened again um i would imagine now and i have no idea because i haven't tried to play i would imagine now it's so much easier and you can just go online and there's an app that you can use and blah 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 and there's no way for like the dungeon master to cheat anymore like they did back then but i what i remember most though about dungeons and dragons that i really liked about it and it's something that I see in games like Dark Souls and From Software's games is the art. I, like my friend, he had, again, he was so spoiled. He had everything. He had all the D&D expansions. He had all the bestiaries, the crazy books that had like every creature in the universe hand-drawn. I would just look at that stuff and marvel at it for hours. And that is something that's never really gone away. Creature art is something that I still really admire and I still seek out and I still check out. And it's something, again, that really resonates with me personally with From Software's games. So um, there are shreds of Dungeons & Dragons that are still with me today, although I would say that I've never really enjoyed it all that much. And I have heard a lot of people tell me, Shane, you have to have a good Dungeon Master. So I do wonder if I had a good 
Dungeon Master, if I would have liked it a lot more, I'm guessing I probably would have, and maybe I'd have stuck with it. Um, but right now, I would probably classify myself as a Dungeons and Dragons noob. All right, that's it for Ask Shane Anything. Thanks again to everyone who pledges at $7 or more per month. Without you guys, this show would not happen. Again, if you want to ask questions for Ask Shane Anything, you do need to pledge at that tier, but everybody gets to watch the archives. So thanks to all our patrons, but especially those who pledge at the Ask Shane tier, and I'll see you guys next time.